Home sales are dropping, banks are on the block, and we're taking a closer look at mortgage REITs. You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show. It is Monday. I'm Matt Kopenheffer, and right here next to me is David Hansen. David, on Monday morning, mm-hmm. I can't quite get over the fact that Michael Vick on my fantasy football team, negative one points. How is that possible for quarterback, negative one? What did he get, an interception, fumbles, both, hamstring? Interception and then out of the game. What can you say to cheer me up on Monday? Well, I forgot my computer coming in, so I had to go back home and get that. That's supposed to cheer I me up? I didn't, well, my badness should equal like some goodness for you. <laughs> Little, if I was into schadenfreude, that would have been a great way to cheer up. Let's move on to the headlines. Maybe we can find something. Well, not in this first one. Maybe there's something here to cheer me up. First headline from the Wall Street Journal, J.P. Morgan's mortgage troubles ran deep. So this is, this is a long examination of some of the uh, mortgage troubles that have led to all of the lawsuits that J.P. Morgan has been paying out on recently. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we've got the big $13 billion settlement. What I thought was interesting about this article was that it was very long. It was very long, appeared to be comprehensive. But a lot of what this covered was mortgages and mortgage-backed securities performing badly and going sour as opposed to focusing on where J.P. Morgan was mis-selling, mm-hmm. which is actually, I, I mean, that's, that's what should be of interest here because it's all about the mis-selling, not about investments performing badly because in the investment industry, you're selling all sorts of things into a variety of different investors for a variety of different reasons, and some of those investments are going to perform well, some of them are going to perform badly, and it's all within the context of the portfolio that they're being purchased mm-hmm. for. So it's just another example to me of of sort of a misunderstanding of what went on during the financial crisis and what's going on now. It's not just about mortgages not performing well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you you read the article, you can really go through. And anytime you hear J.P. Morgan, you could probably replace it with any bank in the article. You'd think it's fine. There's nothing J.P. Morgan specific here. It could be Bank of America, Citigroup, Wells Fargo. It's really just, yeah, there were mortgages that didn't pan out. And we should note that... um, I think it was Friday, they, the, the, the settlement with the FHFA, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, became official. I think it was $5.1 billion. And that, that's part of that $13 billion total settlement there. So that was finalized. J.P. Morgan f- filed with the SEC saying that it's 5.1. So they're slowly moving beyond this stuff, but I wasn't particularly now, scared from reading that article. All, also separately, uh, w- within this $13 billion settlement, I think, and, and really as part of that $5.1 billion settlement, there are questions over whether J.P. Morgan can go back and sue the FDIC to recover some of what it's paying out over Washington Mutual and th- talk about how this would be a big black eye for the government that they go after J.P. Morgan and either... They're going to have to then pay it out of a different pocket back to J.P. Morgan, or they're going to deny J.P. Morgan that, and they're going to lead to when banks are going sour in the future, uh, the stronger banks that have the ability to buy them are going to say, well, I don't know if I want to do this because I could end up in the same place that J.P. Morgan was. And separately, there is talk, there's an art, another article in the Wall Street Journal talking about the culpability of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac in all of this. When you read the original article we're talking about here, New Century was a lot of the, the problematic loans that were sold to J.P. Morgan. And it, the, the underlying thought is that J.P. Morgan should have done a better job weeding those out. And then there's the question of whether Fannie Mae should have done 
basically anything to figure out what it was buying. Uh, we could get into that in greater detail, but let's move on to the second headline here. Before we move on, I think we should say that the person who's winning here are the lawyers. They're winning oh. every, are they, are they yeah. just reciting oh, Charlie yeah. Sheen here? I win there, <laughs> I, I win here. They are by winning. They win everywhere. <laughs> the lawyers are winning. All right, now we're moving on to the next headline here. <laughs> Going to some home sales. This is from the Wall Street Journal as well. Pending home sales show sharp drop. Never good to have a sharp drop here. And this is, again, uh, existing home sales, not just total home sales. I don't think those are dropping quite so sharply because um, if you look at new home sales, those are doing quite but, well. But existing home sales are, are way more important because right. it's a much larger market. But, it, it by is the way, larger. were you working on that Charlie Sheen line all weekend? Were you just no, I was, <laughs> when, you, when you're, you're, you're talking about the FDIC getting sued, I'm thinking these lawyers are just winning everywhere. But back to this headline. Home sales lower. It's still not much of a surprise here. And you look at it, it's, it's because of a little bit of rising prices, I think, and also rising rates. And if we go back to when rates ticked up, there was a thought that, oh, this is going to get people off the sidelines. This is really going to be the impetus to make people go out and buy homes. There really isn't a lot of evidence that that's actually true. It's something that we talked to Columbia's Chris Mayer about this, and he said, I think it's really just something mortgage brokers say, hey, this is the, this is the, the spark that you needed to go out and buy the home. So we're really not seeing that. Home sales are slowing down, most likely due because of, of higher rates and higher prices. So still not much of a surprise. I, I think you're probably right big picture, but at the same time, I'm going to be ignoring essentially like the last month, month and a half worth of economic data mm-hmm. because with the government shutdown, with the debt ceiling debate, there's going to be all kinds of wonkiness in the numbers. So I'd hesitate to read too much into any of the economic data over maybe going back to the beginning of September, really, which is where this number comes from. That's fair. Moving on to the third headline. This is American Banker. It's a poll. The poll is uh, is now a good time to sell a bank. And as you can see here, uh, 31% said yes, multiples are respectable and buyers' stocks are rising. 21% said no, multiples are lousy and for sale signs are too plentiful. And then finally, 48% said it depends. Congratulations if you own a bank in Texas or on the West Coast, otherwise you're stuck. And it's that 41%, 48% percent that I that I focused on for good reason. Uh, and, and thinking about well, it's best to own a bank right now on Texas or the West Coast. So, what are some of the largest banks uh, in Texas or the West Coast? Mm-hmm. Uh, Wells Fargo, of course, uh, headquartered in San Francisco, doesn't really count here. That's a nationwide bank. Comerica may be surprising because most of their lending is it goes on in the the Michigan and, and that sort of area. But they're based in Texas now. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that that one counts because its main lending isn't isn't out there. But First Republic. Uh, that's a, a California institution. East West Bank, Co- East West Bank Corp., another California institution. SVB Financial, uh, which is Silicon Valley Bank, yep. uh, that's California. Cohen Frost is in Texas. I think that's really one of the best-run banks out there. And then City National, another California. So if you're thinking that it's best to be owning a bank in Texas or California, those are a few that you, mm-hmm. could be, uh, that you could be taking a closer look at. And I think it's a little bit, the poll isn't asking investors, is now the right time to sell your bank stocks necessarily. I think this was more directed at people actually running banks. Right, if yeah. you think about the readership of a, a publication like American Banker, it's a lot of actual bankers and people thinking about, is it, is it time for me to go out and try to sell the bank here? So I, I think it's interesting you can say, well, if it's not time to sell, does that mean it's time to buy? And it definitely tilted a little bit more that way. So overall... I think it points to that maybe bank stocks are not primed to be to be sold right now. 
There you go. All right, moving on to the next round, rapid fire. Yep. First headline was from Bloomberg. China construction bank profit growth slows and, uh, as bad loans rise. Not much to say here other than when we hear China Construction Bank, that used to be where Bank of America had their big stake uh, in a a Chinese bank. It was through CCB. They have since sold almost all of that stake, almost completely liquidated that. I think it's a good move. Not much to say here going forward for Bank of America investors, but when you look back on it, I think it was a great move. They came out profitable with the investment. They got rid of that Chinese exposure. Not core to their business, so overall, still looks like a good move for Bank of America. Lucky move is maybe more like it. Maybe. Uh, Second headline, FT Fed probes banks' exposure to mortgage vehicles. Those mortgage vehicles are mortgage REITs. The mortgage REIT sector has blown up, expanded so much since uh, since the end of the financial crisis or since during the financial crisis. And the Fed and other bank regulators are getting concerned about uh, banks' exposure to mortgage REITs through the repo lines. Uh, Here's a quote from the article. The vehicles increased their MBS holdings from about $160 billion at the end of 2009 to $460 billion at the end of March of this year, according to a recent report by Fitch Ratings. That's a huge increase. I think there's good reason to take a closer look at mortgage REITs. Never never good to have a Fed probe. No. You never want that. No. Last rapid-fire headline was from Bloomberg. Global CEOs more bullish on deals as recovery quickens, and that was from a study from Ernst & Young. It said 35% of the CEOs they surveyed were more likely to do a deal in the coming year. That's up from 25% last year. So... You can say, yeah, it's more bullish. Maybe the M&A market will pick up a little bit. That's kind of been a little bit of the case. If you look at maybe someone making a case for Goldman Sachs saying the investment banking market will pick up, M&A will pick up. I think it impacts more a company like Evercore, who we saw report earnings last week. Great earnings. The stock was up, I think, 9% in the day. It's really going to move the needle a lot more for a company like Evercore than it is Goldman Sachs. But overall, good news for either firm. Evercore, Lazard, Greenhill. Also, it would be great to just see corporate cash doing something as opposed to sitting on balance sheets. Uh, our in focus for the day, we're going to take a look, uh, let's take a closer look at mortgage REITs. We've got the sort of the earnings season for the mortgage REITs uh, kicking off in earnest this week uh, in a big way. Uh, so today, after the close, we'll hear from American Capital Agency, one of the two largest uh, agency-only mortgage REITs, or agency-primarily mm-hmm. mortgage REITs. Uh, Tuesday, tomorrow, uh, Invesco Mortgage will report. Wednesday, we've got Hatteras and American Capital Mortgage. Uh, which is the sister company to uh, American Capital Agency. Friday, uh, we'll, we'll hear from Newcastle. And then we've got sort of the unscheduled, estimated uh, earnings. Uh, Armor Residential at some point this week or next. Annalee probably at some point this week or next. And uh, New York Mortgage Trust at some point this week They're or next. They're so coy. They don't they, know they are. And Camara... And es- oh, estimated. Who knows? <laughs> who knows? Who they're, knows? they're reporting like 2001 <laughs> earnings or something. Uh, and, and Two Harbors, of course, my favorite, reporting next week on uh, November 5th. So it, it's, it's going to be a very different quarter very this different. quarter. Um, looking back to the second quarter, it was basically a bloodbath. Uh, if, if you focused just on the net income, you would have thought that there was some decent results mm-hmm. in the second quarter. American Capital Agency had $1.8 billion in net income, uh, a lot of that from hedging activity and derivatives. Invesco, $139 million. Uh, Hatteras, $65 million. 
But what you've got to think about with these mortgage REITs is they've got these gigantic portfolios of mortgage-backed securities, and when the when the mortgage market, when the interest rates are moving as much as they did during the second quarter, uh, they can lead to big swings. So then when we look at comprehensive income, which includes the movement of the portfolio, it's a much different picture. American Capital Agency had a billion-dollar comprehensive loss. Uh, Invesco, a $256 million loss. And then at Hatteras, really impressive that a $65 million net income uh, turned into a $519 million comprehensive loss. Yeah, and you, you talk about the interest rate environment moving. I think in the second quarter, they went up 180 basis points, something like that, from 1.6-ish up to, to 2.5. Uh, one, one point, one point eight seven to be precise. I've got, I've to actually got, He's got one point eight seven to two point five. So it was a big yeah. jump, and you can remember that at the end of June, everyone was saying, "Oh, mortgage rates going to nine percent. Let's freak <laughs> out." Uh, in this quarter, much more muted. They did go up to, to two point nine something at one point, and now they're back down to only around ten sure. basis points higher than they were at the beginning of the quarter. So it's a much quieter quarter, and that's really good news for a company like Hatteras. You just mentioned terrible quarter last quarter and their leverage because of that bad performance had got up to over nine times and they were at the high end of their range they're saying we're not super we're comfortable being here but we could be a little bit more comfortable ramping that down so it looks like they should have the opportunity to do that in this past quarter Mm -hmm. if they didn't maybe that's a more cost for concern uh something to watch over at invesco is they've been moving away from just agency mortgage-backed securities last year they had around 77 percent of their portfolio in agency MBS. This past quarter, it was down to 63%. So slowly moving away from that, just to watch if that trend continues there. So one of the things you and I talk about a lot when we're talking about mortgage REITs is positioning. So at the end of the, at the, end of the second quarter, there is reason to think, well, you probably want to be positioned for higher rates. Right. And, and we do have slightly higher rates than we did at the end of last quarter. But it would be interesting to see if any, any of these mortgage rates position themselves for drastically higher rates, mm-hmm. and then this flattish kind of quarter uh, could have actually hurt them. Mm-hmm. I, I, I doubt that that's the case. I, I think that probably positioning remained relatively stable from last quarter because a lot of the movement probably took, took, uh, took effect at the end of the second quarter. Um, and... Since the end of the quarter, uh, we've actually seen rates come back down about 10 basis points. Um, so it'll be interesting to hear the commentary on what what managers are doing. And, and it's, it's going to be really difficult because you're still playing this game of trying to guess when is the Fed going to make its move. Eventually, the Fed will make mm-hmm. its move. Um, but that hasn't happened yet to many people's surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, in the meantime... I guess my view, and this has been what Annalie has been has been doing, is is keep leverage low because the higher leverage is, the more any big swings are, are really going to cut you. And I think that that was American Capital Agency last quarter. I think a lot of that, the the, the scope of the loss, again, a billion dollar comprehensive loss after 1.8 billion in net income. They have much higher leverage than than a lot of the other companies, Annalie included. So, um, so I would look to see some of these companies maybe bring their leverage back down mm-hmm. a little bit, and in 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 doing that, shrink the portfolio. Yeah, I mean, the less leverage you have, the more flexibility you have to, to do something if something does happen. And you talk about trying to guess when the Fed's going to make a decision, but it's not just the Fed that's impacting interest rates either. You have to look at all these other macroeconomic events, and I think it just goes to show you how hard it is to predict where interest rates are going. People can say they think, oh, I think interest rates will go up this quarter. It's basically impossible to, to guess what these things are doing, and that's what it is. It's a guess at best. So I think you want to look for a management team that's, that's kind of 
even even keel. They don't try to ramp up during certain times and ramp back during the next quarter. I think you look for a management team that kind of stays the course. As far as guessing it, I will point out that I, I thought that the Fed would have tailed off bond purchases to some extent by the end of this year. Doesn't look like that's going to happen. Uh, so, so I may be proved wrong there. It's a tough game. Game. Speaking of games. Speaking of <laughs> How's games. How's that? For <laughs> uh, speaking of win here and win there, the game for today is grade it. Mm-hmm. Uh, We're making the grade. We rebranded it. It's now making the grade. There you go. Making Trademark. making the grade. Have you trademarked it? It's in the process. All right. Making the grade, we're going to present three different scenarios. And after the presentation of the scenario, we'll draw a little picture, a beautiful picture, to Mm -hmm. illustrate what we think about that particular scenario. And to kick it off, we've got J.P. Morgan's $13 billion settlement. David, what is your grade? All right. $13 billion settlement. That's tentative. It should be closed this week. That's what some of the, the latest reports are saying. Uh, so here, here's my grade. It's a, uh, it's a little girl here. She's getting a shot, so that doesn't, that doesn't feel too good right there. She's getting a shot in her left arm, but in the right hand, she's getting a lollipop. So this is uh, for shareholders out there. It's not going to feel great to get the shot, the $13 million. That's $13 million that could have gone to the bottom line in the form of dividends and other stuff. But you get the lollipop because you're moving on. You're getting better. It hurt at the time. Uh, but over the long run, you'll be happy that you got the lollipop. What's your grade? All right. So. That is, what is that? That's violent. It, it, it is a little violent, sadly. So here I've got. Uh, oh, need, a, need an eye there. Okay. So I've, I've got a picture here. You've got Uncle Sam over here. That is a gun. There was actually not any guns involved in this. But. You know, I, it pains me to go to this. It did seem like a little bit of a stick-up. Mm-hmm. It, it seemed like a little bit of a stick-up to me. Uh, you know, Jamie Dimon was very outspoken. I, I hate sounding this conspiracy theory-minded, but it, it seemed like there was such a rhetoric change around Jamie Dimon as soon as he started criticizing the White House, and, and everything has just turned against him. But, but what I also, what's also interesting about this is that in my picture here, mm-hmm. I've got Jamie Dimon, J.P. Morgan, handing over the $13 billion with a smile. And the reason for the smile is that they're able to get past this and it's not coming out of Jamie Dimon's pocket. It's not coming out of the executive's pocket. It's coming out of the shareholder's pockets. So Uncle Sam gets a bunch of money, gets to look good in the process. Jamie Dimon and J.P. Morgan get to say, we're moving beyond this. And meanwhile, the shareholders, it's all coming out of their pocket. It's not good. Next it scenario, is not good. what do we got? The next scenario we got here. Third quarter bank earnings. Third quarter bank earnings. There we go. Uh, overall, overall. Overall bank what's earnings. What's your overall reaction? All right, I'm going with a, uh, it's a sleepy face, but it's smiling. And you got the Zs there. So that, that's how I think of the quarter. I think it was a... An overall solid quarter for the banks. You're happy, but it was nothing exciting. And w- when we talk about a good bank, I don't think you want really exciting, huge changes in book value. I mean, that's great if you can grow book value 5% in a quarter, but it's not really realistic. Um, I think when you look across the businesses, performing fine, loan growth's not great, deposit growth remains strong, fee income remains strong. So I think you look across the board. It's a good quarter, but not an exciting quarter. What do you say? Okay, here we go. I've got this fun little guy right here, and he has something to say, and that something is meh. Meh. And he's also shrugging. I, I, I'm not really a good enough artist to do this, but it's something like this. Mm-hmm. Meh. The, the quarter, 
there were there were a number of banks that were able to get uh, that were able to get net interest in- income one way or another up year over year. That's nice. Uh, there were a few non interest income were able to increase that overall flattish kind of year over year, which isn't great. But the real story for banks is going to be cost reduction and moving past uh, crisis era payouts over time. That's going to be years. And then also interest rates going up so that they can earn more on their loans. That's going to happen over, I assume, years. Mm-hmm. All right. Final scenario. Final scenario. We've got Bank of America's third quarter earnings. We had some good drawings. For those of you listening on the podcast, sorry you couldn't see them. But maybe we'll upload them somewhere. We'll let you know. But I'm going with just a solid B. Yeah, that's easy to understand. Giving Bank of America a B. You just mentioned the expense reduction. That's that's really going to be the driver at Bank of America, whether they get those expenses down and also their net interest income up. Net interest income can't control all of that. There's a lot of external forces that impact that. But if loan growth continues, spread widens, don't make money there. But if you look at expenses, they really got to get that down. If you get expenses down, that's just as good as, as raising revenue in, in my mind. If you can get unnecessary costs out of the system. So I'm giving it a B. They're on the right track, slowly but surely. I'm going to go with a 6+. plus. I'm also getting boring for this last one. 6+. Plus. Uh, I, don't, I don't agree with you that getting expenses down is just as good as raising revenue because raising revenue, you can continue to do. There is a limit to how much you can get expenses down. But I do agree that that's a big part of the story for Bank of America. Not enough of that happened over the past year. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Q3 last year to Q3 this year, there was a big difference in terms of a legal settlement. There's a $1.6 billion uh, legal reserve last year didn't have that this year, um, but both n- uh, net interest income and non-interest income up year over year. That's a positive. Not much happened. N- not much. They weren't up by much, but at least they were up. Um, provisions were way down. We saw this across banks. That's not sustainable, but it does speak to a um, a continued improvement in credit quality, and that's good news for Bank of America. Yep. Concluding, as we always do, with tweet it. Tweeter. All right. For the first tweet, talking banks again, this one says, for the first time since before the credit crisis, spreads on financials are tighter than non-financials. Amazing how far we've come. And when he's talking about spreads, I'm assuming he's alluding to just the spreads over risk-free assets, treasuries, etc. Lower than non-financials. I was a little bit surprised by that. I'm not surprised that they've come down, but but better than non-financials. Does that surprise you at all? No, no, not at all. I, I think the the debt market is ahead of where the media is at with the financial companies. The media is still focused on the story from 2008 mm-hmm. that, oh, all these terrible loans were, were, were took place. They held all these toxic assets on their balance sheets, and they're still hanging on to that. The debt market doesn't care about that. The debt market cares about making money. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that spreads have tightened uh, more for financial companies, I think that's a sign that they're seeing the improvement in the banking sector that, that is indeed there. There you go. I'm no longer surprised. <laughs> Tweet number two. We've got Jennifer Ablan, uh, at Jen Ablan. Uh, this is actually from last week, but I saw another article from it today. Uh, Lehman sues giant stadium over swap contracts gone sour. Which is... What? Yeah, exactly. It, well, this is this was right around the time when Lehman went bankrupt. They had a, a dispute with the owners of Giant Stadium over some swaps that were uh, managing the interest rates or, or hedging the interest rates on uh, on debt 
on Giant Stadium. And, I mean, talk about crisis-era disputes hanging on. I mean, this is, this is five, five years later. Uh, we're still working this kind of stuff out. This is, this is one of the more interesting stories. Mm-hmm. But, but it's, I think, generally, it's a good reminder of just how, uh, how much this stuff is dragging on. It's probably more interesting than the Giants game yesterday. I think they had five field goals. Don't, no don't, could, could you not remind me of the... <laughs> Vic, negative one okay. points for my... We'll just get rid of that game completely. Yeah, thank you. All right, thank moving you. on to, uh, the, no to, more the last, about to the last tweet of the day. This one is from Jessica Hollinger. 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 Come on, that's not a hard one. Okay, sorry. Can't and the, tw- the Twitter handle is at <laughs> Jess Hollinger. Ex-Burger King exec joins Heinz, and McDonald's says it will no longer use Heinz ketchup. Denied. Yeah. I, I, the, the first reaction might be, oh, well, this is, this is bad news for Warren Buffett. This is bad news for Berkshire Hathaway. He's lost it. They got, he's lo- <laughs> yeah, he's lost it. Warren Buffett is terrible now. No more Heinz at McDonald's. You know who the loser is in that equation? McDonald's. Well, even more than McDonald's, anybody going to McDonald's to enjoy McDonald's french fries. There is no ketchup. No ketchup. That, Especially that, those new Heinz packets. That's revolutionized ketchup, where you can peel it back and, or squirt it out. That's innovation. Right, exactly. Well, my, my first thought was, this is probably... No, my first thought was, is this bad for Heinz? How much business do they get from McDonald's? McDonald's is a huge global brand. So I went through their 10K, and I have a trivia question for you. Oh, great. For Heinz, they did have one customer who represented 10% of sales. Who do you think that customer was? Walmart. He's on his game today. Boom! That is correct. <laughs> I, think, I think I think any ten percent customer for any business, if you don't know, it's probably Walmart. Yeah, no no mention of McDonald's as a huge customer. Yeah, there, so. but like I said, any McDonald's patron, and as a McDonald's shareholder, I'm actually frustrated by this. McDonald's does in fact make magical fries, but without Heinz ketchup, it's not nearly as good. There is no ketchup, that, and I hope they don't go with Hunts. Oh. oh. Help us all if they go with hunts. Ugh. Is that is that your your sleeper or do you have a sleeper ketchup? Do you have a, a ketchup favorite that's not Heinz? No, it's it's only Heinz. There are many different kind of mustards that are delicious. There are multiple different hot sauces that are delicious. Uh, even though Frank's and Ch- uh, Cholula are at mm-hmm. my top of the hot sauces, but ketchup, there's only one. There's only one love in ketchups, and that's Heinz. There you go. All right. <laughs> On that note, that is our show for today. Um, we do have a special report. We've, we've, gotten, we've gotten some notes that, that, that this hasn't worked. This email address hasn't worked. We have this figured out now. Uh, email warren at fool.com, and you can get this special report. It's Warren Buffett's Greatest Wisdom. It's absolutely free. Again, the email address is warren, W-A-R-R-E-N, at fool.com. I'm Matt Copenheffer. This is David Hansen. We'll be here all week, and we'll see you tomorrow.